0: uh we, we, by faith, we lay hold of the, the, the treasures on the inside, knowing, Lord, that you've been working not only this week or two, Lord, but, but years and years of compacting and compounding and, and forming this Word. And we pray that every one of us will hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Grace to you, Lord, we trust you, that we will hear you, and that he'll hit the ball out of the park. Thank you, Jesus. There we go. Amen. Amen to that. Thanks for that, Carsi. Just wanna find my, my notes here. I've got a couple of things that that I felt I needed to share this morning, but uh, before I say that, welcome, welcome on the Nederlanders. Uh we uh yeah, I went to school in Holland for a year when I was a little boy in Blaisweg, Blaiswijk de Koy. And uh, you know, always have fond memories of, of Holland. It was an amazing year, my brother and I didn't want to come back to South Africa because like my mom was saying to my kids the other day, in Holland, there's no hidings in school. <laughs> Coming from South Africa, 1973, it was a different, different ball game. So it was wonderful. We didn't want to come back. But unfortunately we had to. And um, yeah. We, my dad went back a couple of years later, and I've always had, like I said, fond memories. And uh, I, I still speak a little bit, although my vocabulary is that of, a, of an eight-year-old, nine-year-old. So, uh, but this morning, I, I wanted to talk to you, what I felt God speak to me about was us as a body listening. So I've called it, I've given it a title, I never have a title, Listen, How Does the Body Hear, How, how Does the Body Listen?, How does the body hear? And I believe that God wants to do something in us as a people, as individuals, and as a collective, and he wants to increase the way that we are listening, the way we're receiving and interpreting. In other words, how we express what we are hearing. And there's this wonderful text which we're going to be looking at. Unfortunately, in the little bit of time that we have on a Sunday morning, we can only barely Touch the surface. But in Mark 4, verse 25, you will see Jesus is talking to uh, talking to his disciples, and he makes this statement. He says in verse 24, consider carefully what you hear, he continued, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He's saying that to His disciples. So that's the message I want to talk about this morning, is with the measure you use, I believe that God wants to take that measure that you and I are using, and He wants to increase it. He wants to make it bigger. Somebody said to me recently that they were looking for the year to produce fruit. They were thinking about the way we produce fruit. And this is it. The key to producing fruit is to increase the measure that you use, because that's what's going to get measured to you. And we want that to increase. But in, in order to do that, I want to show you how things are interlinked. You know, in 2001, I was in the, in the U.S., and I was working there, I'd been working there for a couple of years, and one day I woke up, and as we switched on the television, I saw a burning building. 11th of September, 2001, saw this 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 burning building, and it was like, what on earth is going on? And it was New York. One of the twin towers was on fire. It was like, oh my goodness, what is going on here? And the next minute, I watched as the plane flew into the next building and just saw this building explode. And what came up in my head was this scripture that Andrew shared on Wednesday. And if you look in Acts 2 verses. Is it 12? You just put that on the board. It says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Carry on. Some however made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Now, if you carry on with that text, you will see in Joel's prophecy, it says that there will be blood and fire and billows of smoke. Prior to that, it's talking about men will see uh, visions or uh, kids will see visions, men will dream dreams, the older, the young people, they will be prophesying, prophetic words. That's what we love to focus on. But then the next verse says, there will be blood, there will be signs in the heavens above and there will be blood and fire and billows of smoke. And I saw those twin towers burning and I was thinking about Joel's prophecy and I said to myself, this is that. So I said to myself, this is that. It's some kind of judgment. I don't understand it. I was perplexed. I don't know why this has happened. Now in hindsight, I think, if I think of the pride of the United States, if I think of the pride of America, it's the financial power. It's it's that mnemonic power that they were so prideful of. And then you see one nation coming against another. And I was thinking of the text that says, oh, Assyria, rod of God's anger. When the Assyrians were being raised up, an evil pagan nation, but to be a rod of God's anger. I was thinking of Habakkuk's conversation with God when he said, don't worry, Habakkuk, these people of mine are not listening to me, but don't worry, I'm going to send the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. And Habakkuk is horrified. The Chaldeans... They're like the worst people on the planet, these evil, violent people. God, how could you do this? He said, no, I'm going to use them as a mechanism to bring my people back to myself. And you know, he sent them off to Babylon, and he purged idolatry from Israel. You know that. When Israel returned, when those people, only a few of them, only a few people returned back to Israel finally, many years later... There was no more idolatry in Israel and never has been. Maybe in another shape, but not in that shape or form. Not the kind of idolatry that they had at that stage. But I want to say to you that we've got to be very astute in the way we listen and we watch things around us and we hear what God is saying to us. So if Andrew is sharing with us that there are people that are amazed, there are those that are going to watch the phenomena and be amazed and chase after the phenomena but that's not what he's speaking about, and that's not what we're chasing. We're not chasing the phenomena just for the sake of phenomena, laughing and seeing healings and seeing God's power being executed amongst these people. Yes, wonderful, but we must see behind this, and that is that God wants to do something that is permanent. If you look at the people that came out of the revivals, there was a Permanence to what it God had done in them. If you spoke to them 20 years later, they were still radically changed people. That same power that was flowing through them on that day, I'm thinking of places like the Susa Revival. 20 years later, those same people were still on fire for God because they'd been permanently radically transformed. That's what we're looking for. Radical permanent Transformation. We're looking for radical change. We're not just looking for phenomena. So yes, we're looking maybe for perplexed, but we're not looking for just being amazed for the sake of being amazed, chasing after the phenomena. So be acutely aware of what God is busy doing and is going to do in us and through us. And I want to say to us that the measure we use, the extent to which we receive what God is doing amongst us, is the extent to which you will experience him in your life. This parable that Jesus is explaining to them is the key to all parables. You know that. He says, how can you understand any parable if you don't understand this? You won't understand any parable if you don't get this. This is the key to all the parables. And it's the key to life. This is why this is such a key parable when Jesus... He's talking about the parable of the sower. And Jesus is telling them a story. And I want yourself and myself just to be in the shoes of these, these disciples. And I want to say poor disciples because we just like them. But we look at these stories in retrospect and then we think we're quite clever. And those, those poor dumb disciples, they didn't really understand, but we do. No, no, if we were there and we'd heard this story for the first time, what would you have thought? If Jesus said to you, I've come, there's a farmer, and by the way, he says, listen, before he starts talking to them, he says, listen, behold, you don't see it in the NIV, but you can start there for me, uh, Rudolph. those first verses of Mark chapter 4, verse 3, he says, listen, behold, he asks them to take a, be acutely aware of what he's going to say next, and then he tells the story, and you and I. Let's just for a moment be in that same position. We're listening to Jesus, and he says, there's a farmer. He comes along, and he's sowing seed. And you and I would have thought, yo, but this farmer is not doing a good job because he's casting his seed, and he's tossing some next to the road, and some is falling on ground, where you see rocks sticking out, and it's just falling amongst the rocks. And then there's an area where it's like full of thorns and thistles, and there's some seed getting tossed into the thorns and thistles. You would think this farmer has got no idea what he's doing. I mean, surely he should go for the soil that's, uh, that looks like at least it can receive some seed. And then he casts some, some seed into the soil where it looks like the soil can, be re- can receive some seed. And then Jesus stops and he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What would you have thought? I would have thought, yo, this farmer's got no idea what he's doing. He's throwing seed all over the place. But well, that, what's that got to do with me? And then Jesus starts explaining to them, there's a key to understanding any parable, any story, any communication to you. Any communication to what he calls the in-group. He says there are people that are in on the inside, And there are those on the outside. And the people on the inside, and I'm hoping that's most of us, I'm hoping it's all of us, but it's at least most of us, are on the inside. But you still need Jesus himself, the key to unlock the meaning. So they have Jesus, but they still don't quite understand what it's saying to them. And then he proceeds to explain himself to them. And it says, When he was in private with his people, with his disciples, not only the twelve, with all the people that actually were interested in what he had to say, he would explain to them what he'd been saying in the parables. And they start receiving it. They start understanding what he's saying. And then he tells them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But you'll notice at the end of the explanation, he actually comes back to that statement Once again, in verse 24 and verse 25, He says to them, If you have ears to hear, you need to hear. Let him who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus is right at the beginning already casting a shadow forward to say, I need you to listen. And I want to ask yourself and myself this morning, Are we listening? Are we listening? And if we are listening, what are we hearing? What are we hearing God say to us? What is the measure that we are using to hear? And we're going to look at it in a little bit more detail. But Jesus separates basically three groups. In, in the parable, it's four groups, but basically there, there are three groups. He says that they're those that don't have ears, he who has ears. So they're people that don't have ears. they just on the outside, they don't hear anything. You're on the outside, you don't have Jesus, you're not hearing anything. You can have no spiritual insight if you don't have Jesus. That's what he's saying to them. You understand, you want to understand the things of God. you need me. You need Jesus, not rule of Jesus. You need Jesus to understand, to have spiritual insight, to be able to see what God is doing in the church, in the body and in your own life. If you don't have him, you've got nothing. That's the first statement. So there are those people. And you know, early in John, just before he talks to Nicodemus, there were these people that were amazed at what he was doing because Jesus is healing people. He's driving out demons. He must have been an, an, a spectacular individual. I mean, I would have wanted to go to where he was talking to people to see what he was busy doing. But Jesus says he did not entrust himself to people, to men, because he knew what was in man's heart. And there was a man called Nicodemus. Nicodemus is one of them. He changes, and you see this later in his life. He, he, something happens to him when he engages with Jesus, but at that point, he's chasing the phenomena. He's perplexed. He wants to know, well, what's going on here? And he actually goes to talk to him. So there are those that have no ears, that don't hear. Then there are other people that do have ears, but I don't really listen. So, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So, the, it's possible to have ears, but not hearing. So, you can be sitting in church. You can be, can be listening to preachers every day. You can be hearing God's Word, but nothing pierces, nothing penetrates, and nothing ever gets received, held to, and executed. If I had to ask you what God is busy with amongst ourselves... What would, you, what would your answer be? You know, we've been talking about the body. We've been thinking about the body and how the body functions as a unit. That's what the answer should be. And you should be thinking about what is doing in the body, through you, in the body, and what your role is in the body and how you execute that in the body. Because at the moment, there's a, a highlight, there's a focus on the body in our context. Prior to that, it was other things. Are you listening? Am I listening? What is God saying to us in terms of the body? Because if He's not saying anything to you in relation to the body, then it means you've heard stuff, but it hasn't penetrated. It's gone nowhere. It's just gone inside, outside. So God's not only interested in hearing the sounds and hearing the noises, He's interested in piercing us and it remaining there. And Jesus then proceeds to explain to them what is going on. And he says to them, before he gets to his point, that the measure you use, you know, these guys that are next to the road, that's like when a farmer sows the seed and it falls next to the path. It's people that are there. And it's people that that Actually, they hardly ever hear, they hardly hear, it's just like the seed is just completely lost on them. The devil just comes and he just, he just removes it. And I'm thinking of a preacher, a famous preacher that was preaching, and there was a person, he was preaching on the Holy Spirit. Not a, a, a very uh, a topical preach in a, in a traditional context maybe, but he was preaching on the, on the Holy Spirit in a, a lively Pentecostal church. And as he left the hall, as he was greeting people on the way out, there was a guy there who was the dean of a theological seminary. So he's a really learned person. He's a dean of a theological seminary. He's uh, he's a guy that, you know, spiritually should be really up there. And he shakes the pastor's hand and he says to him, I had no idea what you were talking about. They gave him this encouraging feedback. He says, well, okay, you know, he says, you get these encouraging people and greeted him. He left. He says, the next day he's sitting in his office and the tea lady comes dancing into his office. And she says, oh, pastor, what a wonderful sermon. What an incredible sermon. The tea lady gets it. The dean of the theological seminary is completely lost in him. You see, Satan will come and remove the seed. We're not listening with ears to hear, and we're going to look in a moment at why this happens. Then there's a group of people which primarily I want to think about this morning because I, I believe that this is what God is saying to us. Wants to increase our measuring cups—that what that what we use to bake a cake with. Now you can bake a cake, and you can have these measuring cups, and you can have this teeny weeny little thing. You know, there's little the small ones that you use for the baking powder like the 2.5 mil. You can use that for your baking powder because you don't need a lot of it or your vanilla essence. You know, just this, like my daughter was pouring the bottle of vanilla essence into her baking the other day. I was like, maybe not. she be using that, the, the small one, you know, not a lot of vanilla essence because like it's really potent. She wanted to get that potency in there. But God wants us to use big measuring cups that we come to him with and we say, God, fill it up. And he says, if you bring it that way, I will fill it up. The measure that you bring, I will fill. And the bigger it gets, the more I'll fill it up. As a matter of fact, he says, to those who have will be given more. So the more you receive, the more you come to him and say, Jesus, I need you to give me more I want more understanding. I want more execution. The more you do that, the more He will give to you. I love that parable. It's it's an enacted parable where Jesus is increasing the bread and the fish. You know that story. He doesn't stand in advance and says, Abracadabra, please increase bread and then hands it out. As He's breaking the bread, as He's breaking it, it just never stops, it keeps increasing, it just appears out of nowhere. As he's breaking the bread, as you are using what God has given you, he will give you more. You won't increase it in advance. God, just increase my ability to do this or to increase my faith. Oh dear, if you pray that, you can know that pressure will come. And if you face the pressure, then you must know. You prayed for this. Listen, I once prayed for suffering. Don't ever do that. I went through a time for seven years. I was like, I prayed for this. I mustn't complain, but yo, this is not pleasant. I'm not praying for that again. I did grow a lot. God taught me a lot during that season, but I'm not praying for that again. It's like I'd rather not suffer. But God, give us the grace that when we do, that we can maintain it. You know, I'm limping a little bit because I had a hip operation. I had hip replacement. That's why I'm on this crutch. And uh, my hip was busy seizing up completely. When I finally got to the point where I wasn't able to function anymore, It really was seizing up quite badly. I was limping. My son was commenting on it. Then I knew, okay, it is not time for me. I'd known about this for years. I knew it was time to go. But I couldn't find a surgeon to do a particular operation on me. I sent my stuff to Europe, to Belgium, some international... Surgeon responded to my email. I mean, where do you get that? It's like the, one of the top five in the world. And he responds to my email, just little me, within like a day. And I sent him my x-rays, and he reviewed my x-rays, and he sent, me a, he sent me an opinion. So when I got the opinion from the best guy in the world, one of the best at least, and knowing that he'd operated many athletes, I knew that I was on the right track what are you hearing? What are you hearing? There was a whisper in my ear that I sh- shouldn't just jump on the advice that I'd been given locally. I shouldn't just jump on that adv- advice and just carry on it and do. Something, there was a niggle and I sent my stuff to someone else. See, will not you just have a look at this for me? And he gave me completely different advice. Then I was like, oh goodness, what am I going to do now? Now I've got to travel to Belgium. So they sent me the costs. Now, we pay for stuff in rands. They pay for stuff in euros. It's a different currency. I don't know if you know that. It's like 20 times different. (laughs) Completely unaffordable. It would have cost me something like 400,000 rand to fly to Europe, have the operation done there, and come back. So I was like, God, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. You need to help me. And somebody sent me a name. And I looked up this name and lo and behold, I had read an article where the same surgeon's name popped up. So I contacted him, said, hey, you know, this is kind of my story. And lo and behold, this guy answers me, wrote me a whole full page, looked at all my detail. To cut a short story long, I prayed for the right operation by the right surgeon at the right hospital with a right prosthetic device. I said, this is not in my hands. It's in your hands. And I had a bunch of questions. And when I sat in front of this guy, he answered my questions without me asking them. I knew I wanted somebody that had done thousands of these. Not just hundreds, but thousands. He said to me, look, I've done more than 5,000 of these. I do it in 43 minutes. He was answering all my questions without me asking the questions. It's the questions I had. So I knew God was saying to me, "This is your guy. He's a sports person. He was the ex Springbok hockey captain. I knew I was with the right person." And he's an artist. He's actually quite, an, uh, quite. A, he's, a, he's a good artist, and I thought maybe he will be gentle with me. <laughs> and then when I went to see him with my wife, he said to he said to me. You know what we do to you while you're under anesthetic is I bend that leg all over the place. I rip it sideways because I've got to rip all that scar tissue out of there. He says, I bend your leg this way and that way and every way. He says, this is a great job. You know, I do this and then they come back and they thank me. (laughs) I said, well, thank you, Doc. (laughs) Maybe that's why I'm so sore. God wants us to listen. He wants us to hear. If I'd just gone with my own thinking, I probably would have jumped on the first advice that I'd been given. And I believe God has taken me on this journey. Maybe my recovery is going to take a lot longer. It's a lot more of an aggressive op and so on. But the thing is, when your hip seizes up, you become incapacitated. I, I couldn't do the things that I'd done before. And when your container that you listen with, small, you're incapacitated. You can't function properly. You've got this little container. Now you're trying to get all the, all the flour into the bowl, and you've got this 2.5 mole, and you're like sc- scooping little by little. Do you know what C.S. Lewis said? He said, you know what we like? We Christians, we like little children playing with mud cakes in the slum. Little mud cakes we're baking in the slum. And somebody is inviting us to a holiday on the beach. And we're saying, no, thank you. We're busy making our little mud cakes in the slum. We're happy to make our little mud cakes in the slum. No, God wants to take us to a holiday on the beach. That's what C.S. Lewis said. In terms of our expectation to have the fullness of Jesus, the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ, it says in Ephesians. So now these people that Jesus mentions as the second group, the second and the third groups I want to briefly touch on. The seed falls, but there's rocks below, so it penetrates a little bit, but there's no root, so boof, it just dies. Small measuring cup. With a measure you use, is like a Mickey Mouse measuring cup. You're just listening. You leave church, somebody asks you, what was the sermon about? or you listen to a preach online, or your brother or sister brings you a word and you can't remember it. It's like, I don't know what they really said to me. You see, a small measuring cup. You're not really listening to what God has said to you. Listen, years ago, if I hadn't listened to a lady tapping me on the shoulder saying to me, I feel like God is saying to you, do not fear, And that scripture in Psalm 112 jumped at me and said to me, he will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. I wouldn't have been so confident as I am today regarding my hip because I got this terrible news. I thought my running days were over, my active days were over. And God said to me, he will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast trusting in the Lord. God was saying to me, you need to trust me regardless of the outcome. So whether I'll be able to run again, I don't know. But I can tell you what, my measuring cup was massive when I was listening to that word because I needed it. I desperately needed it. I needed to be able to deal with the fact that what I'd been doing for 50 years, I might never be able to do again. I wanted to be able to run again, but I knew I might never, and I might never be able to run again. But you know what? I'm actually okay with it. I'm actually okay with it. Because God said, trust me, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm more sore and more incapacitated than most people at this point. I don't know why. Maybe other guys are saying they walked three miles after a month. I can barely get out of bed. I don't know. Maybe my surgeon just beat me up a little bit more. But I trust the outcome will be the outcome that God has ordained for me. I want that to be the same for you. I want your measuring cup to be massive when the words come to you. So I want to ask you, those rocks that the seed was falling on, what are those rocks? And I want to mention a couple to you. I can't carry on too long. Have I gone too long? Have I got a couple of minutes? I want to share some things with you. Unteachability. Talk about unteachability. You know these people that, that that just know everything. I don't know anybody like that. Do you? I've never been like that. Have you? Some people are and some of us and most of us at some point have been unteachable. We just camp on what you believe and you're just not open to any input. Let me tell you, unteachability, it will destroy the root. It's a rock. It's in the way. So if you are unteachable or you're never changing your mind with regards to your theology, your view of God, your view of life, the way you execute. I remember I preached a, a really uh, inappropriate preach in, an, in, in, a, in a setting. And uh, my, my fellow elders challenged me and said it was a great preach, but it was a completely in, inappropriate setting to preach it and i said i disagree <laughs> of course i went home and i felt god speak to me so i sent a message i said i've changed my mind you see teachability is being able to change your mind i said i changed my mind i'm sorry i could have done a better job of using a different preach in a, in that particular context there's nothing Wrong with the preacher per se, but it, un- it did not unlock what it should have unlocked. It's my biggest fear standing in front of you today. It must unlock something in us. I said, God, if it only unlocks something in me, then it would have been worth it. Because I'm telling you, I was blessed looking at this and thinking about what are the rocks in my life. Here's another one, individualism. It's a big one we face in church. The iPhone, iPod iPad, I generation. it's me, myself, and I, it's about me. But God is about the collective. Jesus is talking to, to his disciples. He doesn't even send them out one by one. He sends them out two by two. It, Jesus is working with a collective. He sees that those are on the outside and then there are those on the inside. He works with us as a group of people. This is where the body comes into play. The body functions, functions as a unit. If that lady hadn't given me that word that morning, if I hadn't been at church that morning, what do you think would have happened? I would never have received that word. I would have never put the word and the text together. And for six years, I wouldn't have had something to hold on to. Let me tell you, that's quite significant to me. The anointing is mostly where people are together. Jesus said, where two or three gather in my name. Didn't say, we well, you get to get, you're alone there. That too. But the collective, we tend to disregard the collective. So individualism is a massive danger to us as a body growing in Jesus. Hearing from him, appreciating what he's doing. And often the anointing is in the meeting. We, as elders, we got together. I don't know how you guys felt. But when we spoke together on Tuesday morning, just having a conversation and just thinking about what is God saying to us? Where is God headed? What is he busy with? And we just talking and thinking and, and looking at it. There was such an anointing there. It was like you could feel it tangi- tangibly. I felt it. I was like, no, God is here. This is what God is busy with. But he, he, I didn't feel that way when I was on my own. But when I got together with these people... When we were together as a unit, thinking about it, there was an anointing that I hadn't experienced outside that setting. God operates where we are together as a body. So let me put it to you this way. The head and the body is a unit. They they, they are together. They're a unit. So I'm committed to my wife, but I'm not committed to my wife's head. I'm committed to my wife as a whole. And we heard the scripture quoted this morning. And it continues to say, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. So if your commitment to your own personal relationship with Christ is not the same as the commitment to the body, then you're only committing to the head. You're not committing to the whole body. The body is a unit. That really is individualism. It's my relationship with Jesus, and it has to flow into the body. You, you cannot separate the two. It's quite critical that we see this, and sometime, sometimes it's just a little bit of a revelation, but I believe that that is, a, that is a rock. How about judgmentalism or criticism, skepticism? If you face phenomena in the church, and we are going to face it, you know people flopping around, do you know what I do? I ignore them. If I'm not experiencing, I'm just ignoring. It's like, whatever, that's got nothing to do with me. You know, when Peter was complaining to Jesus, Jesus said, well, what's that got to do with you, what I do with him? Talking about John. Peter, Jesus says to Peter, you, I'm dealing with you, Peter. Just forget about him. Just listen to what I'm saying to you. Forget about what Jesus is doing with those people. You engage with Jesus and allow him to do in you what he's going to be wanting to do in you. Have a big cup, big measuring cup, so that Jesus can fill it up, that you can execute it. If you feel something for someone else, take the word to them. Take a person along, share it. Encourage one another daily, as long as it is today, so so that none of you will be hardened by sin's deceitfulness, the Bible says. Bring that word. Take that word. This lady that shared her word with me was petrified of sharing the word. I was, like, so excited to just get a word from someone. It's like, please. I needed the encouragement. But nobody knew. I knew. She didn't know. But I was so encouraged. I'm so grateful that she had the guts to tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, listen, I think I'm feeling something. I was like, yes, please. Do so you feel something for somebody, share it with them. You never know what it's going to unlock in that person. And there's a host of other things. And as you sitting here this morning, I believe that God is awakening some things in you maybe that's a rock, that's getting in the way of God speaking to you. How about busyness? Busyness, we're so busy. How about digital overload? I was teasing my wife yesterday. I said, you've got digital overload. Have you noticed in the morning when you switch on your emails, if you work on a computer... If you start working on your emails, your electronic media, Teams, messages, you never get back to what you wanted to do prior to that. Because by the end of the day, you would have been busy all day with people. They need this, and then they need that, and then this one says this, and then it just doesn't stop. Digital overload. We've got to get rid of some digital overload. We've got to be paying attention to what Jesus is saying to us. So what are the things that we do need to do? We need to make space for Jesus to be able to speak to us, to have a big measuring cup. Somewhere, you've got to make space for God to speak to you as an individual. But you need to do it in the body as well, in church context. So don't skip Sunday meetings, as some are in the habit of doing, Hebrews says. It talks about the last days. It says that some people will be in the habit of, of skipping meetings. Sometimes we do need rest. Sometimes we skip meetings. Sometimes, I mean, I've been off sick. I haven't been able to get to meetings. Yeah, sometimes we do. That's okay. God's not going to be angry at you. But don't make it a habit. The habit should be, Lord, I want to hear from you. I want to hear you speak to me. Because he wants this morning to enlarge your measuring cup. That measure that you use, he wants to make it bigger and greater so that he can produce more in you and through you. You can have bigger revelation, greater revelation, more of the depths of the mystery. Jesus calls it a mystery. And mystery in the ancient world wasn't something that we call a mystery. In our language, Is something that's really difficult to understand. It's like a mysterious thing. It's like really complicated. That's not what it means to them. When Jesus says to them it's a mystery, it means if you're on the inside and I give you the key, It's obvious to you. So to you and I, it should be obvious. But it is a mystery to those on the outside. But God wants to unlock some things in you and in me. He wants to get rid of some rocks. He wants to get rid of the junk. How about sin? I asked my daughter. I said to her, hey, Sienna, my 10-year-old. I said, and I was asking about the sober. She said, yeah, I know that parable. I said, how do you know all these things? I said, what are the rocks? Tell me what are the rocks. She said two things. Firstly, sin. I was like, okay, that's a good one. If you have some hidden sin in your life, you've got a a rock in your your life. It will fill up some of the space in that measuring cup. There will be less space for God to fill it up with His revelation, with His work, with His activity in you, because you've given away some space. You've given it away. So if you've got some hidden sin, and we all do have this stuff in our lives, We have to deal with it. And you know, John Piper said something that I thought was was really significant. You want to get rid of sin. You can't tell somebody just, here's the list, just get rid of the sin. Maybe in some respects you can. Because if you notice how the Bible talks about self-control, if you don't have self-control, the Bible says, do you know what it says how to get rid of self-control? Do you know what it says? It says, be self-controlled. Okay. It's not complicated. It just says, be self-controlled. So you take a hold of it, and if you lose control, then you try again. You say, okay, I'm going to be self-controlled. just says, be self-controlled. You've got to teach people to be self-controlled. So maybe in some sense it's that easy to just be self-controlled. You take that sin by the scruff of the neck, and you chop its head off, and just deal with it. I'm sick of this. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm dealing with it. Jesus, I ask your, your power and your grace and your strength to deal with it, and I move on. But, and this I believe is a great key, the more joy and pleasure you can extract from God and being with God, the less you will sin. And that for me was a very significant revelation. This whole thing about the mud cakes is extracting supreme joy from God, being able to be in a space with God that is so filled with joy and with passion and experience and fulfillment that these other things just disappear. If you're committed to someone, you will be wanting to spend time with that person. And the more you spend time with that person, the more you get to know that person. And the less you will be doing what displeases that person. But the more you drift away from a person, the less you will know what, this, what pleases this person, the more you will be doing things that displeases the person. So it's actually not complicated. We've got to find, find and fight for joy in Christ. And it's in Jesus, through Jesus, back to Jesus, by the power of the Spirit. And that's what honors God. So we fight sin in that way. We fight for our joy in God, experience of joy in God. And then these other things, we, we stop wanting to do them because we want to be with God, with Jesus. We want to experience Him. So that's how we get, get rid of it, sometimes just through pure discipline. And the third way is by using the body. We use the body. We must use the body. We call it accountability. But man, if you bust yourself, if you live in the light... You get rid of something quite quickly. Sorry, I've got to stand up a little bit. But if you if you bust yourself, you know, it's typical of a 12-step program. They say you have a sponsor. It's nothing other than living in the light. You, you get somebody that you acknowledge your weakness to and because you're busting yourself. You don't feel guilty anymore. So bust yourself. You know, get somebody that you can talk to, and and uh, that thing will get broken. So the things that we do do, do. We need to pay attention. We need to put some effort into paying attention. Pay attention to what people are saying to you and what you're hearing, what you believe you're hearing. Write it down. Pay some attention. Say, God, what are you saying to me through this? Not just, you know, it goes in the one ear and out the other ear. Satan just removes the seed or just falls on rocks because it means you just, just not listening, you know. It just seed that just gets sown and gets completely wasted. And God then says, okay, well, you know, it just falls over the measuring cup. Enlarge your measuring cup. Pay attention. And then if you do get something, apply it. Ask yourself what it means to you. What does it mean to you? Sometimes it means nothing. You put it on the shelf. What does it mean to you when somebody brings you something? You hear something that Ron is saying, that he believes that there's a a focus on the table. Ask yourself, what does it mean to you? I mean, JJ was a great example. He was saying initially, he was like, what's this business with a table? But then he started thinking about it. And then it started getting meaning to him. And as soon as it became meaningful to him, it bore fruit. That's what you do. Do what JJ did. All right. I'm going to... I'm going to close it there because we can carry on. But I believe that Jesus this morning has, has maybe highlighted some things, maybe to you, things that are in the way. Maybe we haven't mentioned them. We don't have an exhaustive list. But maybe you mentioned some things that, that keep you busy. Maybe you're watching too much TV. Occupies your mind. Maybe you're watching too many YouTube videos. Or spend too much time on WhatsApp and social media and Facebook. Or whatever it may be. Maybe it's that. Maybe like my daughter said to me, it's the wrong friends. How about the wrong friends? She said to me, Daddy, you can have the wrong friends. It was like, yeah, bad company corrupts good character. That seems quite biblical. I think I'll tell the people about that one. So that one was from Sienna to you. <laughs> bad company corrupts good character. Maybe, maybe you need to have more friends that are constructively building into you so that you can be encouraged and you can fight some things in life, and there can be more fruit. But maybe God highlighted some things to you this morning. So if we can just close our eyes. I just want to, I just want to pray with you. Is that okay, Sean? Can I pray for people? just want to pray for us as a, as a people this morning. And uh, I just want to see, uh, firstly, if, if there are people that are on the outside, I mean, if you've never accepted Jesus as the, as the key to life, You know, Jesus died on a cross, and He died for your sin, and He died for my sin. He dealt with sin, with finality on the cross, because He took the punishment that you and I should have taken. And that visible manifestation, that physical drama and and turmoil that He went through, that physicality of the crucifixion is just a picture of what was happening in the spiritual realm. Just a picture of what should have been happening to you and me as we as we were meant to be condemned by God. Now, either you get condemned or Jesus gets condemned. Somebody's going to pay the price. And you and I, we all fall short. We all fall short in many ways. So if there's anybody here today that has never really acknowledged that you've got shortcomings, that you don't have a relationship with God, and that Jesus died on the cross for you and you would like to accept him as your Lord and Savior because you've got no access to this. You've got no access to spiritual insight outside of Jesus. If there's anybody like that, I would love to just pray with you and for you. If there's anybody like that, I trust that there's no one like that, but you never know. You know, some people come to church for 20, 30 years and they they don't know the Lord. And then one day God reveals himself, so... It's, it's possible. You could be preaching up front and be unsaved. It's happened. Is there anybody like that this morning? If there's anybody like that and you didn't want to put up your hand, please come talk to me afterwards or come talk to Sean or to Cassie. Anybody, talk, just talk to anybody. Just mention to someone, hey, man, I wanted to give my life this morning, but I, I didn't want to come to the front or I didn't want to put up my hand. But then there's another group here, and that's what I believe God is saying to us as a people this morning, is that we, we as a body, as a, as a group of people, those that are returning to Holland, to their contexts, that we as a body here, in our context, God wants to increase what He's doing in our lives. And He can't do it if we, if we don't come to Him with big measuring cups. He says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And maybe there's some rocks and some thorns and thistles in your life. And if God has shown you anything this morning, and let me tell you, we all have something. If God's shown you anything this morning, I'd love to pray with you. And maybe, maybe we should do this together. Maybe, maybe you can just turn to each other and just pray for each other, just where you are, and just pray that God would increase your measuring cup that God get rid of rocks and thorns and thistles. Can, can we do that just for two minutes? We just turn to each other and just pray for this. I oh Lord, I want to ask that you remove thorns and thistles and rocks from this person's life, whatever it may be. Don't have to tell people what it is. Can we do that? Donkey, Donkey. Yo, no. Donkey. Thanks, man. Thanks, Joe All right. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So, Jesus, I want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for, for the incredible privilege that we have to be part of church life, oh God. We want to thank you for people. We want to thank you that you give us other people to encourage us, to build us up, to point out some things that are not acceptable to you. And, oh God, all of this so that we could have more of you more of you, experience more of you. And Lord, as we leave this place, I want to ask that you would bring to remembrance the things that are displeasing to you, that are rocks, that are stumbling blocks, that are thorns and thistles in our lives, that are causing us not to be able to experience the Word in its fullness. And not just about Bible reading, oh God, but as we are sharing in church as we are talking to each other as we are listening to what others are saying that we would be able to receive the word we as james says we humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save our souls it it rescues our souls it does something inside us it produces something it penetrates it pierces it changes it moves us along Oh, God, and I want to pray this morning that as we go into a season where potentially there will be outpourings of your spirit, there will be strange things happening, God, that we would rather be perplexed and say, what is God busy with? But we won't be judgmental. We won't be saying, ha, 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 look at them, or oh, they just putting on a show. But, oh, God, that we would be perplexed, that we would recognize, hey, man, this could be God. This could be God doing something. And Jesus, we want to ask you that when you do something, that there would be a permanence to it. You would produce something in us. It would be repentance. It would be changed lives. It would be less sin. It would be more fruit. It would be more lovingness. We would be able to love each other more. We'd be able to care more about others. There would be more repentance. There would be more change of heart, oh God. Oh, God, there would be the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, long-suffering. Oh, God, let those things manifest amongst us so that the people on the outside can look at our church, our global church and our local churches, and say, what's going on there? God is amongst them. They should be able to look at us and say, God is amongst them. We pray that you would do that amongst us. I want to pray for our visitors, those from Wellington and those from